This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, it's Addictive Eaters Anonymous On Air. Welcome to Addictive Eaters Anonymous on Air, here on Plains FM. My name's Louise and I'm an addictive eater and the host of this show. This is an opportunity to share with you about how Addictive Eaters Anonymous works and to talk with an addictive eater who will share their experience of recovery from addictive eating. Well, how does AEA work? Sobriety in AEA is freedom from addictive eating and or mind-altering substances. AEA members achieve sobriety by sharing their experience, strength and hope with each other and living the 12-step program of recovery as a way of life by regular attendance at meetings, getting a sponsor, working the steps, keeping in contact with sober members and carrying the message of recovery. Members are freed from addictive eating and the obsession with food. At the heart of the AEA program is the spiritual concept of surrender. I have got Layla with me today in the studio and she's actually come for a little holiday and I have nabbed her because Layla is one of the members of Addictive Eaters Anonymous originally from Christchurch. Welcome Layla. That's right, thank you. Lovely to be here. Yes, lovely to have you. So I've watched you grow in the fellowship. I remember you coming in. How long ago would it be now? Um, I guess it must have been about, I think it must have been about 15 years since I first came to the fellowship. Heck, Mm. that's a long time ago now. So when you came in, I remember you sharing and struggling to share, struggling to have anything to say, and now you've become this very confident, articulate woman. What was it like when you came in, that that inability to really express what was going on? Mm, absolutely, yeah. That just takes me back to to those early days, really. I mean, I remember when I came in, and at that time, you know, I'd gone from someone who was quite social, really. You know, I had a lot of friends to that time when I came into the fellowship, and I just lost all my confidence. You know, I was really scared of people. And I, I do remember at that time, I, I had a friend that came over and my phone was off the hook, you know, because I just couldn't speak to people, you know. Um, and coming to the meetings, you're absolutely right. I just looked at the floor. I, oh, gosh, it was terrifying. <laughs> you know. Um, I was very lucky that people were just really welcoming and, you know, I didn't have to make the effort, you know, they came to me and talked to me and... Um, And so I'd love to get a bit of an idea of what happened leading up to that coming in, which was obviously your rock bottom. So I'm always interested in those early years, Layla. Describe yourself as a child. Yeah, so... So as a child, I I grew up in England and in our house, 
food was very much readily available. You know, I've heard other people talking about having kind of restrictions on food in their house. Our house wasn't like that, you know, it was... Our family actually had a, a, an idea that you would eat as much as you needed and then you, when you were full, you would stop eating, which um, didn't work for me. <laughs> you <laughs> you know, so. Yes, yeah. So as a child, I, um, I was quite shy, really. You know, I loved writing stories and, and you know, primary school and, and younger years, I would just go off and want to write these stories about princes and princesses and... Um, just go off into my own little world, really. Didn't, didn't care about being friends with anyone or anything like that. Yeah, I don't really remember the food from a very young age, but um, I remember probably primary and onwards, I just really loved the food. You know, if there was a kid's party, um, I would just, you know, all I thought about was the food. There was people around me and I, I didn't care, you know, I just tunnel vision into that food when I got to maybe 11 or 12 I remember someone saying to me a, a family friend that I was overweight oh I was just in so much shock it was like someone had stabbed me in the heart but I still couldn't stop eating the way I was because I still just loved it didn't feel that shame that I felt later yeah, so uh, when, I, when I got older, I discovered alcohol and uh, drugs as well, and I got very much into that. Um, you know, it gave me a kind of escape from my reality, which I'd always wanted from those early stories. But I still ate in a strange way. Did you think to yourself, Leila, oh, th there's something a little odd here, or I'm not eating like other people are eating, or did you not really have any awareness that what you're doing was any different from anyone else? Mm. I, I think I definitely did, even though I wouldn't have said it in such clear terms as that. I must have known on some level that what I was doing was strange because I'd do things like the family would have a roast dinner or something, and then what I'd do is go to bed, and then in the night I would creep down the stairs and pick food off the plates. And I think now, well... I must have known that was strange because otherwise I would have just clomped down, not worrying about the noise. So, and I tended to have these friends who were also unusual about the way they ate. Um, like I had a friend who would just have one bread roll a day and I was actually quite horrible about her. I would talk to other people about how she did that and how strange it was and sort of masking what I was doing. And so you were into the alcohol and the drugs. Did that mean that the food sort of seemed like it was on the back burner because those sorts of substances are so much more perhaps obvious? Mm, yeah, it's yeah, it's certainly something I didn't think about really. It's yeah, food was just something I, I did. So it didn't stand out, I suppose. You know, I didn't get really overweight or really underweight because I, one thing that the alcohol did was it would make me sick, so the food would go. <laughs> um, so I didn't, I didn't, it didn't show on the outside, I suppose, yeah. The only times that I started, yeah, it started becoming apparent was when I actually stopped the alcohol, and then it, I just couldn't stop eating, yeah. Was there any sort of attempt in you to get rid of the food when you just had that all-out eating? Were you a, a vomiter or an over-exerciser? Was there anything 
going on there to try and control that intake? Um, I didn't know. I didn't vomit as such. Um, I mean, that sometimes happened as a as a result of the drinking, but um, but no, I didn't make myself sick. Mm. Um, I. I took drugs that made me very thin that would stop me eating. Physically, I couldn't eat. And I remember thinking, oh, this is great because I'm, I'm not eating. <laughs> I'm not putting on weight. But, yeah, in other ways, I didn't do that kind of those uh, trying to get rid of the food. Yeah. You were sharing the other day about being at university and you were talking about things like lying and stealing. Was that... Mm. something that you see now as part of that whole package of addiction? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. That was, uh, I mean, it, essentially it was tied in with the addiction as well. I, I stole stole drugs and things from, from people I knew uh, and stole money. Um, from a young age, I actually stole money from my mum because I couldn't, I didn't have any money of my own, so I used to take her money and spend that on either alcohol or food. And then just the lying, yeah. I mean, gosh, I mean, I lied when I didn't even have to. It was just so in me. And I always wanted to make myself look better than I did. So I would watch people and what they did and try and copy that, you know, whether it was through what I wore or the way I spoke or um, just a variety of things, really. Do you think that was there sort of self loathing self-hatred sometimes people talk about that did you have that at all or or not to such a great extent yes I definitely did have that I found that in my addiction I was led to do things which I was very ashamed of some of that stealing and um, also just not being able to to do the things I said I was going to do I'd promised to be at a family function or make arrangements and not turn up I really didn't want to be that way. I really loved my family, even through all my addiction. And it made me really sad, but I I just didn't know what the problem was. I remember sitting in my room back there in Somerset and feeling this feeling inside, just, just feeling this pain inside and not knowing what it was. You know, I would just run into the fields, run into the fields like, just thought I could just run away from myself and I I couldn't get away and that was that was a pattern of my addiction was that when things went wrong I always tried to leave if a job went wrong I was out the door at university I was on the other side of the country and my final one of those was moving to New Zealand and so yes I was thinking that must have felt to you like an opportunity to behave differently to have a different life Hmm. but not necessarily Mm, absolutely I thought I'd move here and everything would begin again Mm. (laughs) I'd get new clothes and new (laughs) friends and (laughs) a new job and oh gosh did all those things but um, inside I was the same person and to be honest by that point I couldn't really make friends because I had so much shame about the past that I would try and make these friendships and naturally what you do is you talk about your past you talk about who you knew and where you went and I couldn't do that anymore because all of those things were shameful so I couldn't I had no natural ability to talk to people at that time 
So you, you came in to the fellowship relatively young. How long after you came to New Zealand was it? Um, it was probably only, I think, a year, a year and a half, I think, after I arrived. Ah, mm. really? Okay. Mm. And so what led to making the phone call or coming in? Where did you go into AA first? Mm, that's right, yes. I went to AA first. Um, yes, somebody who my sister knew um, was in AA and um, I went along with her and then uh, tried, tried to go without AA for a year and I thought I could do it by myself. Oh dear. <laughs> yes, which uh, wasn't good. Um, and the food just got incredibly bad. Um, I just couldn't stop eating then. There was no control left. And I moved what I, what I always think of as my last geographical, which was moving to Christchurch. Um, and there I found myself a sponsor in the AA Fellowship. We went to a park one day and she was telling me her story about her drinking. And a huge part of that story was also her eating. And I remember sitting there with our lunches and I had my lunch and a piece of chocolate cake and she had her lunch. And she told me these stories about going to buffets where you could just eat whatever you wanted. And she would gorge herself and feel sick and feel guilty. and these other stories and I just sat there and thought oh my gosh she knows she knows what I'm thinking and I felt like the piece of chocolate cake was just like a neon light (laughs) 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 that um, that time I thought that was a symbol of of my overeating and was that the first time you considered the possibility that your eating could also be addictive was that the was that the moment you discovered there was possibility of that I think so yeah yeah I think so yeah I I had never had any other contact with anybody with food addiction um so yeah that was the first person I'd talked to who'd really told me yeah about her experiences Mm. and so then did that mean you could work a combined program so you did you come into AEA then I came into a, a fellowship that existed, um, yeah, before I went to a different fellowship then, but, um, but yeah, it was a food fellowship. And then, yeah, my sponsor was in both fellowships. And so then what was that experience of surrender of the food? Was it something that that problem was taken away quite quickly for you or was it something you struggled with and, and food kept sort of reappearing or being picked up? What what was your experience mm. there? Mm. Yeah, it didn't go away straight away. Um, I struggled for, for, for some time, probably two years, I think, before I really kind of realised how the food was affecting me and became able to eat on a food plan. And for me, I, my sobriety isn't that whole 15 years because I did pick up again in the drug area, sort of pharmaceutical drugs, which were a problem for me. So, so it took a long time to realise the extent of my addictions, that they weren't just food and alcohol, and to really be honest about all of that to my sponsor, start working out a way through that. And yeah. so life now free of those substances Mm, absolutely absolutely yeah today I just I go to my job I spend time with my family and I just eat 
what I eat and um, I just don't think about it. It's amazing. It's amazing. And don't drink alcohol, take drugs. I can still go out and enjoy myself. I'm here on holiday at the moment and with my family and they do they do some of those things and that's absolutely fine and um, I can even cook for them and, and appreciate what looks like good food but I don't have to eat it. Mm. A miracle. Mm, it's amazing. And yeah. of course we talk in the fellowship about that problem being removed by a higher power mm. and I love when you share sometimes about as a young person trying meditation at school mm. and and having that experience of sort of going within and it just being just a terrible, terrible thing and you sort of vowed and declared mm. you would never go in that direction again. Mm. So where are you now? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I will always remember that experience. Yes, I, I, I must admit, you know, when I was into all of those substances, I, I lo- really looked down on people that did any kind of spiritual... Um, practice or were part of organized religion um, because I I just didn't understand it and I saw them as needing this thing um, you know when all the time actually I needed I needed the substances that I was taking and today I I do a meditation every day and I do pray as well and um, I know that I'm being looked after I've had many times where I've had to deal with big fearful things for me um at one point i had a big fear of driving on the motorways really terrified to the point where i would just stop the car in the middle of the motorway gosh yeah quite dangerous um and i had to just i had to just hand that over and just trust that i was being looked after um and these days you know i've moved to an area where i had to for, for a period i had to drive on a big huge three-lane motorway every day and it was fine fear had been removed so you came into the fellowship you said you couldn't do it anymore you surrendered Mm. and your sponsor laid out the steps in front of you what's been your experience of working the steps yeah so I mean I remember when I first came and um, to be honest I sort of thought oh I don't really have to worry about that. <laughs> I just thought I just needed to come to the meetings. The meetings would make me feel better. I talked to my sponsor and I learned in time that wasn't going to work because actually it, was, it wasn't about me just stopping eating the way I was. It was actually changing my behaviour, which was the real problem. So my sponsor was, was good she was very strict and she, she was very strict on just moving through the steps quite quickly and straight away um, so we worked on step four and five which is about um, writing things down and talking about them and then eventually moving on to making like an apology to people through amends so I did get on and do that admittedly it took me It took me a long time to pay back money that I owed. That was a real sticking point for me. I've I've never wanted to pay. I'll take and take, but I don't want to give it back. I did the first step of step nine, um, writing down all these people that I needed to say apologies to. And then I remember one day in a meeting hearing someone talking about making these apologies to people he'd known since he was a child. And it really struck me and I thought, oh my gosh, it's everybody. That was my experience too. I don't Mm. think I'd had a right relationship. 
I think I owed an amends to everybody I knew mm. as well. Yeah. So did you go to people then and what what would you say to people? I did, yeah, I did. Um, at the beginning it was very, um, very much talking to my sponsor and getting like a script to say and mm. um, later on I, I, I think I was closer to my higher power and I got the instincts of what I needed to say. Um, but I found in the process of doing that step, from the start of doing it just because it was part of the programme, as I carried on, it was more about because I just, I really wanted to say sorry. I looked in those people's eyes and I saw their hurt and I really felt what I'd done. Gosh, so they weren't saying, oh no, there's nothing to apologise for, there was real... Mm, mm, some of them did which was very kind of them <laughs> but um but most of them were honest most of them were honest that's hard that's hard to hear but it's been really good for me because i need to i need to hear it for me to change that behavior i need to know this is how it has affected people and the final prong of that i guess was going back to the uk about four years ago and really facing all those final people shops that I'd stolen money from, very close friends, and it was such a relief. I bet, mm. I bet. Mm. must be lovely to feel that you have been back and made your amends and now you can go forward. That's mm. so beautiful. Absolutely. Mm. You know, to be able to walk around and not look over your shoulder yes. is, is a real blessing. Yes. Mm. Incredible programme. Mm. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. Been, it's been lovely chatting to you. Mm. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. Thank you, Louise. If you have heard anything today which you've related to or would like to know more about us, please go to our website, www.aeanz.org. There are three meetings a week in Christchurch, as well as a monthly worldwide meeting on Zoom. A podcast of our show will be available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as the Plains FM website, plainsfm.org.nz. Our show goes out on the fourth Monday of each month at midday. Thank you for listening, and I trust you go well. Until we catch up next month on Addictive Eaters Anonymous on air, Plains FM 96.9.